0: Greetings all. What is the good word? Thank you for stopping the scroll and spending some of your valuable time with us. This is the Coptimizer podcast and I'm your host, Patrick Flannelly, retired chief of police and all around wannabe renaissance man. Here we look to spend some time with leaders and pioneers that have a passion for public safety and those who look to build strong and resilient individuals and organizational cultures, both of which result in stronger communities. We look across industries with a focus on peak performance. Our biggest questions, what can I do to squeeze every little drop of life out of each day? How do I get a little bit better today than I was yesterday? And how can I tap into the energy that makes it all possible? While our focus is on first responders and those in public service, the lessons shared here on the Coptimizer podcast are universal. Our goal is to hire healthy, retire healthy, and maximize impact in our personal and professional lives in that time in between. To drive value and squeeze every drop out of our performance so we can be awesome for our families, our departments, and our communities. Better performing officers make for better performing organizations. This is not a complicated truth. It is the simple truth. From the top cop to the street cop and all those working in support of high performing organizations, this show is for you. It's time to Coptimize. Greetings, all. Welcome back to the Coptimizer podcast. Got another exciting guest today. I have Sheriff Andy Hughes, and I know he's retired but we'll call him sheriff anyway and uh andy great to have you on the show great to be here patrick
1: Sheriff's one of those titles you can't get rid of even if you wanted to you know i guess
0: yeah it's kind of like uh chief retired chief former chief i don't know i i pretty much answer to uh to anything if especially if you say it loud enough right (laughs) all right (laughs) so um I, I, this is going to be a fun conversation. We had a great chat a few weeks ago as we were prepping for the show. And, uh, I, uh today kind of can, I think we can look at this as a, uh, an evolution, an evolution of policing. And you've got a ton of experience, ton of experience. And I think the audience will get a lot out of not just, uh, your past experience, but what you're doing today in order to help build the next generation of policing so why don't you why don't you give us a little bit of the origin story you started young at 18.
1: yeah uh, let me go back a little bit further than that
0: all right i was uh
1: i was born in a salvation army home for unwed mothers and uh was left there was in foster care for a period of time and uh, was adopted six months later by Dothan, Alabama, a police detective and, and his wife, and my parents are Billy Ray and Marie Hughes. And uh, man, I tell you what, uh, it, it was a true blessing. And I believe that you know the Lord has always had a purpose in my life, and that purpose was to be a law enforcement officer. And I was placed in that in that law enforcement home. But yeah, I'm a second generation lawman. My father was a uh, was an officer for thirty six years, so I'm second generation. Uh, Started whenever I was 18 years old as a dispatcher in the Houston County, Alabama Sheriff's Office. Uh, Later on, worked in the jail. Ended up going back to dispatch for a little while and then went on the road as a a patrol deputy in 1988. Uh, Later, worked in narcotics there at the Sheriff's Office for a period of time. And then uh, made the decision to go over to the Dothan Police Department in uh, 1990. Uh, Dothan PD was a, a larger agency with more chances for advancement. And, uh, you know, more training opportunities and uh, opportunities to be on specialty teams and that kind of thing. So it was a good career move. Uh, Stayed there for 16 and a half years of my 30-year career. And in 2006, I ran for sheriff in Houston County and uh, was successful and uh, ran again and was reelected again in 2010. And then in 2014, the state of Alabama was consolidating... Twelve different law enforcement agencies into one big agency called ALIA or the Alabama Law Enforcement Agency, and uh, I was tapped to fill a slot there at uh, the Capitol in Montgomery as the uh, Assistant Director for Homeland Security. And In that role, I served as a Tactical Operations Commander and was the uh, I was the Chief of Tactical Operations over SWAT, uh, EOD, and Aviation for the for the state of Alabama for period of about a couple of years and uh retired in 2016 after 30 years of service and I've been working in the private sector ever since.
0: So you have you haven't done much in your career.
1: <laughs> I've, I've been very fortunate. I've been I've been very fortunate to uh to have the, the law enforcement career that I had. There's there's a lot of uh law enforcement officers out there that have had much more uh fulfilling and and, and better careers and done a lot more stuff than I have. You know, but I do feel very fortunate to um, to have had the career that I had, doing something that uh, I enjoyed immensely, and I, I miss it every single day.
0: Yeah, so that's and that's kind of I want to start and go back there at at eighteen, working as a dispatcher, uh, son of a police officer. So you grew up around it. Um, we don't we don't get that the younger like that eighteen to twenty two. And maybe I think some law, some states are probably a little bit different. They might require you to be 21 before you can work in dispatch, but, um, just don't see the number of people with that level of interest at that young of age anymore. I don't know if you see the same thing, uh, d- down in, uh, in your part of the country there in, in the South, but, um, uh, started noticing that really 15, 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, it, it is a way. Uh there's not as much interest anymore. I think a lot of a lot of kids uh are more focused on a dollar and than they are on public service. Uh people are just not as public service minded as they used to be at one time. I think some of that generation's gone. And uh, the internet has changed a lot of that. You see social media with uh um, these people that are famous and they're showing their, you know, what they've done and they made all this big money and they're driving fancy cars. And, you know, they've got this, uh, certain lifestyle. And, uh, you're, you're not going to get that as being a, being a cop. You know, my dad used to tell me, he said, so, you know, why they call us police. And I said, why? He said, cause we, the poorest men in town and the least thought of. <laughs> and, and that's, that's pretty much, uh, pretty much the way it is, you know, and cops don't make a whole lot of money and, uh, the wages are better today. And, uh they've become even better just because of the competitiveness of trying to attract law enforcement officers today but it's it's not a job that you're going to get rich in uh, you can you can make a decent living in a lot of agencies there are some agencies that are still paying cops 12 14 an hour to risk their lives on a on a daily basis but uh you know it's um it you you've got to have a servant's heart to want to be a law enforcement officer You really do. And I always say uh, in in the presentation I do, I always say chase your purpose and not a paycheck. And it'll definitely be more fulfilling.
0: Yeah. And that that's so important for what we're asking police officers to do, because it really uh, you really are giving a lot of yourself in this job. There's a lot of uh, you know, you're not dealing with people on their best days. You're dealing with people in crisis and. And you know, quite frankly, when they need you the most is is when you're there for them as well. So it's not it's not a job that pays uh, great uh, financially, but there there are a lot of rewards that come with it. And I I think it's going to be it'll be interesting here in the next five to ten years because most of the country doesn't realize the crisis that we're in um, in terms of recruitment and retention and bringing new talent into the profession. And uh uh we're gonna find out the hard way, I think unfortunately be- before we're kind of willing to invest and we see this really with the teaching profession right now as well like teaching is a very similar calling and it's 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 generally not a job that that people have entered into to to get rich, but uh, there is you know far greater rewards than than the financial rewards that you get with it but, you also have to be able to pay your bills and you have to be able to uh, take care of your family so that there's, there's there's a balance there.
1: Going back to what you said about dealing with people on their worst days, uh, one of my police chiefs that I work for, uh, one of the things that he said was there's only two kind of people that we deal with in law enforcement, bad people and good people who are having a bad day. You know, whether their their child is lost, or their lawnmower's been stolen, or they've been in a in a vehicle, uh, excuse me, a vehicular accident, whatever the case may be. But there's only two kinds of people we deal with, and that's true: bad people and good people who are having a bad day. And uh, we we see a lot of people that uh, at their at their worst, uh, something's happened to them, something very traumatic. It's things that cops see on a daily basis, and we become uh, desensitized to. Uh, we're immune to. Uh, sometimes to to feelings that the general public would have when something happens to them but you know that's where we have to have empathy we've got to put ourselves in those people's place and and try to help them the best we can and the cops cops see a lot of stuff and uh, experience a lot of uh, internal and mental and emotional trauma uh, sometimes even if they don't realize it but it's a it it is a very rewarding job and uh, you know some of the situations of that I've been in and, uh, you know, I've been involved in some, some bigger investigations and stuff like that. And very satisfying to arrest a number of people at the end of those investigations and put some really bad people in jail and that kind of thing. But some of the best times I've ever had though is, is, uh, is helping someone to, to find a lost child or helping someone to find their, their elderly parent with dementia or, uh, helping someone uh you know that's down on their luck, get to where they need to be or get the resources that they need to get. You know, and I always used to tell tell my cops, listen, never tell anybody that's not my job or that's not our job. It may not be in our job description as law enforcement officers to to do certain things, but it is our job to help. You know, we're the we're the ones out there that people call when they don't know who else to call. So you know we need to make sure that we're helping people whether or taking them to uh, somewhere else to to get the resources they need to get help, or you know, we're we're putting them in the back of our patrol car and giving them a ride, or taking them to a bus station, or to the rescue mission, or whatever the case may be. And, and we have we have that duty to do that, and it just really man, it just really eats me up if I ever hear a cop say, "Well, that's that's not my job to do that." Well, it, yeah. it may not be, but it's your job to <laughs> somebody whose job it is and, and help these people. You
0: know, and the finding the lost child, finding the, the, the missing adult, you know, the silver, silver alerts, Amber alerts, um, you know, the, those are instant rewards in, in, in policing. A lot of times you don't get to see the, the positive side of your work. You really don't. You're, you get, you get uh mired down in long investigations. If you're working as a detective, sometimes as a patrol officer, it's kind of, you, know, you the work can get to be a little bit like Groundhog Day, kind of same people, same <laughs> types of issues over and over again, and and so it is. You know, you do have to enjoy those those moments when when you do get those wins because that that is very satisfaction. You know, it's there's a lot of satisfaction that comes with that. It, it's it kind of connects you back to your purpose. Like you know, ask anybody why you, you know, when they when they wrote down on their application why do you want to be a police officer, right? It's uh, you know in their mind they may be thinking I wanna <laughs> I want to drive fast shoot guns and put bad people in jail but always on paper it's uh I want to help uh, I want to make a difference in my community and and uh you know sometimes you get to do the 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 former uh, while you're doing the latter but those uh anymore policing it's not it's not like it used to be and we'll get to that in a second um but I also think it's important, to focus on what you said, because that it's, that's not my job. Um, it, it, our reputations oftentimes that police as police officers can be damaged by those that have that type of mentality. And I I do have a little bit of empathy for, for people that that give that response because I normally think that that's, that's a, uh, it's a defense mechanism. Like, and I think that's when, when you find yourself and this for the officers that are out there, if you find yourself thinking that and saying that a little bit more than you ever used to, then it's time for a break. Uh, It's time, you know, you need to take some time off uh, and you need to find an opportunity to grab a little solitude and, and recover a little bit, because that's generally, uh, I think that's one of those signs where you're, you're getting a little emotional emotionally dysregulated uh, time to recharge the batteries in whichever way you can do.
1: And we don't always know what to do uh, in situations that are uh, outside of a law enforcement response. Well, even if you don't know, let's let's call somebody, call a supervisor, call a fellow officer, uh, call somebody outside of the, the agency to say, hey, I've got these people here. They've got two young kids. They have nowhere to stay. Uh, their car's broken down. They don't have any money, whatever the case may be. Uh, you don't just walk off and leave those people sitting beside the highway, you know, right. because. You think it's it's not your job? It's not within our our function, you know. Uh, you know, as the old uh, cliche says, to protect and serve. You know, we're we're there to do both and to put guy, uh, bad guys in jail and drive fast and have fun and and uh, do some fun training and all that kind of stuff too if a cop tells you that uh it's all about people and they don't enjoy the the fun stuff they're telling you a lot too uh, <laughs> there there is a lot of fun in law enforcement and uh it's um, it's a different job today than it has been in the past but uh you know, all, all the exciting stuff is is very rewarding also
0: yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting times and uh you know, we I think maybe we can go back a little bit and and then to come back forward because we're seeing we're seeing this push and all this discussion about reimagining the police. Um you know, and when you ask the average person uh, and I I've had a few people that have that have said, you know, it's time to reimagine and you know, my first question is as always, tell me what that means. What does it mean to re- reimagine the police in your mind? And I haven't had anyone that can really explain it yet. They'll they'll say things that sound good, you know, kind of sound bites like maybe they've heard on the news or they've read. Um, well, we need to have more crisis intervention. We need to, you know, think about the ways that we're dealing with the with the mentally ill uh, people that are having it, struggling with addiction, and it's like, yeah, yep you realize that we do all those things already and we've evolved tremendously in the last 30 years about how we approach that problem but then you also you have to go back to the origins you know hey can you does anyone understand or do you understand why why police officers are getting called to the scene of a of a mentally ill person in crisis in the first place you know you know at what point did the police Become responsible for those problems. Have you have you ever had those conversations with people?
1: Yeah, you know, and usually when we get called about a uh, subject that's mentally ill, it's because the individual has not taken their medication, or their family members have not given their medication, or uh, there's been some kind kind of trigger that set them off. But the thing a lot of people need to realize is that when law enforcement deals with a mental patient, uh, a mentally ill person we're not dealing with them in a clinical setting. We're dealing with them in real time, uh, you know, in the streets. Uh, There are other people around that may also be in danger. You're trying to take this person maybe into custody for evaluation uh, without trying to hurt them. But on the other hand, they're trying to hurt you because they just don't know any better because of their mental illness. Uh, so there's a lot of factors as far as cops dealing with mentally ill people. And I agree with having mental health professionals, uh, if you have time to get them on site and to talk to these people and to, to try to uh, use their professional uh, you know, insight to come to some resolution. But usually things are not happening uh, in that manner. It's, it's, it's fast paced, it's, it's evolving very quickly, and maybe somebody's going to be hurt know yeah. I've talked to a lot of mental patients before and 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 cops you know you see a lot of cops out here screaming commands and doing this this thing and, and that and you know you got multiple cops screaming commands and they're screaming different commands and you've got a person that's already mentally ill and then it's confusing them. It's upsetting the the family members or the neighbors that are there also and uh, we need to teach cops how to recognize mental illness and to recognize Uh, autism and to recognize other, uh, you know, disabilities that may inhibit somebody's ability to think rationally and, and how we might can intervene in those.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we've done a really good job of that. Um, Maybe not necessarily because we wanted to as a profession, I think there's always that element there, but I I think it's been, uh, it's kind of one of those issues that's been forced on the police. Why? Well, because, you know, at the federal level, we stopped funding for uh, treatment facilities, uh, and, and then states followed suit. And so, what ten, when when people say, "Well, maybe institutionalization isn't the right answer for a lot of these things," we can do outpatient uh, care, which is a more humane way of, of dealing with these types of uh, people in crisis. And I agree with that. But when you when you create those rules. But then you don't have a safety net in place for, okay, well, how are you going to manage the the problem when you do have someone that's in an outpatient environment that's no longer compliant, that's not taking their medications, where the family uh, or the caregivers uh, are no longer being responsible for them? Uh, where does that fall, right? It, you know, those those are the people that the police are dealing with. And I think if you don't think that there is numbers there, right, uh, drive down any downtown street or any downtown area in America today, and look at your homeless population, uh, and and see see what that's doing because that's what the population is. It's not these are not, you know. There there is a segment of of our homeless populations that choose to to be that way, but most of them are, are you know they're they're down on their luck. They've they are dealing with most likely some type of undiagnosed or untreated mental illness. Uh, maybe so, and then generally that's what leads to some significant uh, substance abuse issues, which then leads to uh, interactions uh, with the criminal justice system. And so, yeah, it's a it's a societal issue that that creates a lot of this interaction and this tension with the police. And then, uh, you know, the challenge the challenge is that the police then are being judged on outcomes. Uh, for what's happening downstream rather than us as a society sometimes taking a, a reimagined look at, well, what does, what does uh, managing our homeless population look like?
1: And it's a very fine uh, double-edged sword there that we're teetering on. Uh, one, to serve that mentally ill person and to try to get them the help that they need. And on the other hand, protecting the public also.
0: Yeah. and there's some great organizations out there, you know, the Anami um, uh, National Alliance for Mental Illness, they they put on great training with you know the the CIT training, the crisis intervention training. But I, I also think that people have to remember that there's there's a limit um, to what we should expect from from a street officer and the level of of professional response because you we're not clinicians. And, and if you expect us to be clinicians, then you're going to have to train us to be clinicians and then you're going to have to pay officers. Uh, you know, so in addition to being a uh, a clinician, you're also a law enforcement officer and there's also risk. So that's you know, that comes into uh, the second part of the the equation when people t- talk about defunding. Well, defunding isn't the answer. <laughs> it's it's actually investment uh, that requires uh, you know, a, a change in the way that we we think about how we're going to train and prepare, and and again, I I don't want to take us down too far off of a tangent, but I, I wanted to kind of set that stage before we go back a little bit because you some some of the you know the story that you have, I think, is it resonates really I think across America in terms of what you know what's at the heart of policing, and that and that's finding uh the good people that care about their community that want to make a difference. And uh, you, you were telling me a story about, um, you know, one you know, one of the, uh, sh- the sheriffs that you used to work for. And he, <laughs> he came up and you know, back in the, in the old, old school days where, you know, in his young days, he was chasing moonshiners around, you know, and you're uh, you're driving, you're in pursuits where you get to shoot out the tires. <laughs> Well, I don't think we see that very often today, do we? No, no that's uh, that's really not a
1: um, technique that's trained upon uh, these days or, rec- or recommended. Uh, but you know, I first started back in 1986. Uh, the sheriff that I worked for, his name was Lamar Haddon. Uh Almost nobody called him that. It was his name that everybody knew him by was was Bird Dog, and he uh, had he uh, had been a been a liquor agent uh, with the state of Alabama. You know, spent a career uh, hunting moonshiners and um, uh, setting up on moonshine stills and, uh, you know, chasing chasing drug traffickers and that kind of thing and all. And so, um, yeah, he was a sheriff that he would come in in the mornings with his uh, coat and tie on and do his public stuff. And then after lunch, uh, he'd go home and put his blue jeans on. And, and when I worked in narcotics, you know, he would stay out working with us till you know, midnight, two o'clock in the morning or whatever, you know, go home, get a few hours of sleep and be right back in the office the next morning. But yeah, many times, um, and he, he spoke really, really slow and really deliberate and never really got excited and, uh, you know, been in chases before where we pull, pull alongside the offender there and they were trying to get away from us. And he'd real slow to say, Hey, Andy, Hughes," so I'll say, yes, sir. He'd say, won't you to see if you can let a little air at that tire. <laughs> case <laughs> here you know he and it meant for you to shoot the tire out of the vehicle we were chasing you know, to, to mm. disable them you know so uh, uh i i got a i got a taste of some uh some old school stuff back then when i first started uh in patrol with the sheriff's office we did we didn't have portable radios uh you know those that that was back in the day when you were out on a traffic stop or something high risk you left your window down pulled that old motorola uh, microphone out and you hung it over the spotlight on the outside of the car. That way, if you got in trouble and you could get away from the fight or needed to get back and call for some help, then you could actually get back to the, uh, to the microphone without having to open the door and get back in the car and all. So, uh, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of backup in a rural environment. And, uh, you know, I learned to to depend on myself and depend on my instincts a lot and, uh, and, and enhance my my verbal judo skills and talking to people and being respectful to people as long as they wanted to respect me, you know? So, uh, it, it was a, it was a different time back then. I didn't have a whole lot of equipment. If you wanted a bulletproof vest back then, you had to buy it. You know, we provided our own guns, our own gun belts. Uh, I think I even bought my instead of it, it wasn't during qualification time, I even provided my own ammunition and we were you know shooting, everybody was shooting different kinds of bullets and <laughs> there was no standard, no standard bullet or anything like that for the, for the agency so uh you know i i saw those those times now and i you know i retired back in 2016 so i got to see a, a lot of modernization going uh, throughout law enforcement during my career uh, a lot of it most of it for the good some of it uh i don't know if it's for good or not you know uh, uh, sometimes we rely on um, technology and stuff like that rather than getting back to the basics of, of really policing. And uh, I think today's uh, law enforcement officers lack some of the communication skills that previous generations had because we we have a generation now, the younger ones, especially coming on, uh, you know, now that have been used to texting someone or they're messaging someone on an app or they're interacting with them via email or whatever the case may be, and uh, they're not used to talking to people on the telephone or they're not used to having interpersonal communication between them and someone else, and um, I see a lot of difficulty in people uh, conducting interviews or uh, doing interrogations and and getting confessions from criminals because we lack those interpersonal skills. And I think that's something that really, really needs to be concentrated upon in police academies and in in training uh, after the academy too, to develop those interpersonal communication skills.
0: Yeah, because when you're when you're on a call, you're not texting with someone that's right in front of you. You, you have to interact right. with them you have to be able to read uh their body language you have to be able to you know connect with them on a you know, on an emotional level and for a lot of different reasons one it, it it's you know for someone that has to be taken into custody th- there's there's a compliance concern right where you, you always want to it's better to talk somebody into handcuffs than to force them into handcuffs mm-hmm. because if you have to force them somebody is getting hurt right um and and the average person does not realize how difficult it is to put somebody in handcuffs, even if you're highly trained. If if a person doesn't want to go into the handcuffs, um, and so those things, it doesn't look pretty. Um, but you know, sometimes you really got to elevate in order to do that, and that's for the safety of everybody involved.
1: Um, yeah. Well, you see, you see a lot of people out here in the public and media, and you've got four cops uh, trying to arrest one individual you know, they're all, you know, they're all on top of this individual and trying to put handcuffs on this and the other. It's actually safer for the suspect and the officers, the more officers you have to, if you do a swarming technique correctly uh, to actually handcuff and restrain that individual than it is one-on-one because, uh, you know, the officer doesn't want to get hurt. He's going to fight harder and do what he has to do not to get hurt and to get the sub- uh, subject into custody. So, you know, it's actually, actually safer the more officers you have if you perform it correctly. Now, you know, the office in Memphis, um, a few weeks ago, uh, they had four or five officers there and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to see, you know, them try to perform a correct technique and handcuffing that individual.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's the, um, you know, that's the byproduct of, of a lot of different issues. Right. And that's kind of where I was heading is like, you know, policing, for for all the people that see something like that and the the emotional response is policing is broken it needs to be fixed and you know that's a you know while we tend to see these things you know, the the media is going to pick up on those events but you're talking and and I I wrote this in a post not too long ago but you're looking at you know there's 800,000 police officers in America there's over uh, in in the year 2021 I believe it, there was 50, an estimated 53 million police citizen contacts and interactions. Um, mm-hmm. And of those less, less than 4% involve any type of use of force. And, and then it really, when it boils down to, if you, I, I think last year there was 1096 people that were, that were shot um, or that were killed in these um uh, interactions with the police and these use of force interactions and mm-hmm. that seems like a lot right but when you start think when you go back to 53 million contacts and of those 53 million 4% of 53 million that's a lot of use of force and and the and to think that almost in every single one of those cases there's there's no injury or or very minor injuries that tends to tell me they were actually doing things pretty well um uh, and it's basically what it, and then you see the the cases where there's an unarmed person i think in last year there was 27 of those um and of those you know you had um yeah 27 where they were unarmed and again the unarmed you always have to keep in mind there's always at least one gun in the fight uh, when there's a fight between right. a police officer and a non compliant suspect because the officer always has a gun and and there's sadly every single year police officers die at the hands of their own firearm when they lose them uh in, in an altercation and that's you know that's the reality of 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 policing but you're looking at yeah. point yeah. zero just, zero, just zero, 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 two percent um just
1: because someone's unarmed doesn't mean that they're not dangerous okay yeah. even even with their hands even with their feet, uh, even with a rock that they could pick up uh, during a struggle while you're you're rolling around on the ground wrestling one of these individuals and all. And uh, I'm telling you, a lot of officers these days are really, really hesitant to pull their firearm and point it at someone, much less, you know, actually pull the trigger. Uh, you see, you know, there's instances, uh, you know, where we see where a lot of officers probably should have shot someone and yes. they didn't. And they, maybe they ended up paying the price for it or somebody else did. Uh, they would have been totally 100% justified in shooting someone and they didn't do it because they're hesitant. And I, I think a lot of these uh, officers, they're hesitant to uh, perform their duties, whether it be putting their hands on someone or actually pulling a trigger if they need to, uh, because of number one, because of public perception uh, these days in the last, uh, especially since 2020 and uh, also because of the leadership. Uh, they're not so sure that their leadership is going to back them up. You know, I've, I've always said you, you've you got you got your people. You need to always you need to need to stand up with your people. If they do wrong, you need to stand beside them and, and take the hit and figure out what you're going to do to correct it. You know, if they do something criminal, then you need to prosecute them. But uh, we need law enforcement leaders in this country now who are more concerned about the mission than they are about their position. You see, on a lot of law enforcement leadership, especially in some bigger uh, locales, that are bowing down to their, uh, you know, liberal leadership, their city commission, their their mayor, whatever the case may be, they're they're selling their soul to the devil. They're forgetting about what their principles were and what their convictions were and what they've done for years and years policing. And then they get some stars or bars on their collar or whatever, and they get in get in the the head office up there, and then they they forget all about it. And they're like, well. I've got to do whatever it takes for me to hold on to my position. You know, it's not about the mission anymore. It's about the position and I'll do whatever it takes uh, to, to kiss up to the mayor or kiss up to this commission or whatever to make sure that I keep my job. I understand about people providing for their family and, and you know, this and the other people have that job, but you know, you, you've got to be a man or woman of your convictions. You know, if you, if you're willing to sell your soul to the devil Uh, for something that you don't believe in principles that, that at one time that you were against this time for you to go home, you need, you need to quit. You're not doing law enforcement any good. You're not standing up for your personnel and you're not fighting crime effectively either. If you're, if you're doing nothing but pandering to special interest groups of politicians.
0: Yeah. And I would say that's that, that goes both ways, right? It's, it's, um, there's plenty of examples out there where we've seen, um, that it, whether it's a, you know, it's a red state or a blue state, red city, blue city. I mean, right is right. Wrong is wrong. And I, I think you said it about as simple as you can. Um, you know, it's it, it, you know, as a police leader, it's no fun to have to try to to hold people accountable to a standard that they won't hold themselves to. Right. They know it. And, you know, when when they when they force uh, that external accountability, it makes it, it you know, it makes it harder for everybody but there are also times when um they're going to um act in, in uh, what they think is is the right thing to do at that time. It's going to be within policy and it may it may not look great, but um you, you know that's yeah you, you have to know the difference, right? And I think you're right. You have to learn to 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 know when it's, you know as a as a leader, it might be time to to walk away if if you know, people are going to make you do things that would question. Uh, your own integrity or put your own integrity on the line right well
1: you know you also need to make sure that that your your personnel know what your mission is they need to know what you expect out of them as law enforcement officers they need to know you know what what is what is your doctrine and what do you want to accomplish here with with our law enforcement agency what do you excuse me, what do you want us out here doing on a daily basis? You know, uh, there's a there's a verse in the Bible, First Corinthians 14, 8 says, for if the trumpet gave an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? You know, you can't just, and you, you can't rely on your command staff or your supervisors and let this kind of trickle down to, to your officers, especially in a larger department. Uh, you've got to make sure that your personnel know what you want to accomplish on a daily, daily basis. You know, what uh, what's, your, what's your mission statement? What do you want to do? How do you want things done? And you can't, you can't afford to, uh, to let them be vague about that. They, they need to know exactly what you want done. And, uh, not only, you know, you can't convey that only through your words or through a memorandum, but you've got to convey that through your actions also.
0: And, you know, that's, that, that's interesting too, because I think a lot of people don't realize the difference in, uh, it's all I think related, but when you, uh, as a sheriff, you're an elected official as a, as a police chief, you're almost always an appointed official. Um, and you know, an, an elected official, ultimately you're, you're still bound by, by law either, you know, you you have law and policy that you still have to follow, but you're accountable to the voters Uh, as a, as a chief, you're generally accountable to a mayor, a city manager, a town board, a city council, whatever, whatever the local uh, order of government is that, that appoints you to those positions. So, um, it, you know, I, th- I do think there's, there's good and bad to both, but it, it just, it, again, for the average American citizen, when they call 9 you know, it doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a blue, right. a brown or a green uniform that shows up at the door, right. They, they just want someone that's right. going to help and, and help them, uh, uh, resolve whatever the issue it is. But you know, all of those uh, all those different organizations uh, have little nuances in their structure that that makes things that makes things different. And I you know, I think it works, all right? I, I think we can see examples of of where it could always be better, but I, I'll go back and say, I, I don't I think policing has never been better. I think the the data shows that to be true um in terms of our part one crimes, our part two crimes uh cr- think you know things being overall we'll see some Peaks and and in, in violence here and there and we're going through one of those right now I think when it when it comes back to uh, some gun violence and uh issues but it's still it, uh, it's still not like what it was in the mid80s yeah
1: we, we saw a lot of violence when we first started seeing crack cocaine in the mid mid80s. The late '80s and uh, on into the into the '90s, but uh, crack caused um, a lot of violence because it was a street drug. You know, it was being sold in open air drug markets on the street, uh, unlike you know some other drugs, and uh, so so a lot lot of violence uh, all over the, all over the country.
0: Well, and and the violence is you know it, that's a downstream uh, byproduct of a lack of enforcement, a lack of sound policy. And a, and a clear direction on how you're going to address the issue. And I, I think for, the, you know, you have a, a a percentage of the population that says, well, the answer is just legalization, right? Because the war on drugs has been ineffective. And there are plenty of examples yeah. out there where we can say, sure, the war on drugs has been ineffective, uh, depending on how, what your measure of success is. <laughs> and, and and again, that's where we tend to go wrong is we, we don't have a consensus on, yeah, uh, you know, what are we actually trying to accomplish? Um, because if, if you're if you're if you're going to say you're not a success because you haven't stopped any uh, of the violence that's associated with drugs, well, then, um, mm-hmm. well, you're never going to you're never going to get to 100 uh, percent, not as long as there's still people walking the earth.
1: You know, legalization is not uh, the answer, in my opinion. And uh, I've always said, you know, the war on illegal drugs is a war that we will never win actually, but it's one that we can't afford to lose either. So you've got to be out there fighting it every single day out there in the streets. Uh, Legalization is definitely not the answer. Uh, I don't think anywhere that's legalized drugs. Uh, If you look at some of the studies, I've seen some stuff come out of Colorado and uh, even DUIs and and DUI crashes and things like that as it relates to uh, legalized marijuana. I think uh, they're Court cases, of arrest are way, way up there in Colorado, and I'm sure there are some other studies that have been done also that's going to show that legalization is not the answer, and it's not making the public any safer either. And you know, marijuana, marijuana is a is a gateway drug. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. I, I had a uh, I had a guy bring uh, his son to my office one day when I was sheriff, and the kid had really messed up. He was on some drugs, smoking weed. And he'd sold some of his dad's guns and that kind of thing. And uh, I took him over to the jail and introduced him to an individual there in our jail. And this guy was a three-time loser on methamphetamine. And he told this kid, he said, listen, he said, uh, I got, you know how I got started smoking meth and injecting meth? He said, I was at a party one night. He said, I smoked weed. He said, that's all I'd ever done previously was smoke some weed. He said, I was there one night, was pretty high on some weed. Somebody says, hey, your man, hit this one time, see how you like this. Yes. He said my mind was already clouded and I wasn't making good decisions because of you know I was under the influence of marijuana at the time. He said I tried methamphetamine. I've been an addict ever since. And this guy was looking at life without parole for multiple convictions of use and possession and trafficking in methamphetamine. So don't tell me that marijuana is not a gateway drug.
0: Yeah, it's and it, it's a that's a story that gets repeated over and over again. And for yeah you know, for every ten people that say I never had any issue. You know, I smoked marijuana. It was no big yeah. deal. Um, you're going to find one or two that that's their story. Um, right. And it, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot go, that goes into it, but generally what you, you're you you're trading one problem for another. That's, that's generally uh, you. And, and that's ultimately what, what, what communities need to decide is, is what they what they want to accept, what they want to tolerate. Um you know and you and you can't get sucked into these arguments by looking at that you know the tax revenue quite you know think oh we're going to just look at all the money we'll make by taxing it and legalizing it and i didn't i didn't mean mean to necessarily go down this road but i do think it's those are interesting discussions that you know and in the end the police you know the, the police responsibility is to do what but what the what the state law says and what their communities say they want them to do but yeah um you, if you if you're going to generate tax revenue uh you're also going to create opportunities for uh for misuse and I, we saw a lot of that in Colorado and other places right you just if you if you can sell legal marijuana out the front door, guess what you can sell out the back <laughs> Yeah so
1: yeah and if you legalize it or not uh organized crime is going to find a way to manipulate even a uh, a legal product. So yeah, you're still going to have criminal activity involved
0: in it. Well, yeah. So if you're in a state that's that's legalizing or it's going to legalize it, make sure you're setting aside about 75% of the revenue that you're going to generate uh, to be able to to uh, clean up the mess that it creates. Yeah. And that's, yep, I mean, that's just, uh, we've got some pretty good data coming out, right? Uh, NHTSA and others have done some of those studies on traffic fatalities, DUIs, enforcement issues uh, treatment issues, treatment options, you know, there's all those things become, uh, you know, they, they need to be factored into the equation, but I digress. So, um, one of the things that, that you're doing now, um, that, that I wanted to spend some time talking about was, um, the, uh, a program that you have, that you're, that you're working with, it's called, uh, bear the sword. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing and, and, you know, what your mission is there? I'd love love to. Uh, Like I said, since
1: when I retired, uh, I've been working in the private sector. Uh, I work for a company called First Guard, and we provide all three cops for security projects all throughout the country for different uh, corporations and individuals and other entities. But, you know, uh, when I retired, I all of a sudden... Had this feeling you know what, what's my mission in life what am I supposed to do there are no nine one one calls to answer no hostage situations or kidnappings no disorderly persons uh you know no no accidents things to go to uh you know no cops to supervise anymore nothing to command so I'm sitting there wondering what what do I do now you know and, and I I missed all that terribly and, and like I said I still do but I you know I've, I've come to understand this is something that God has given me and made me realize that my mission in life now is to let's inspire future generations of law enforcement officers. If if we don't inspire future generations of law enforcement officers, where are they going to come from? What are we going to do without cops? Uh, you know, there's a uh, there's a Latin term and I, I would not even try to pronounce the Latin version of this, uh, but I, I hear that it, it's inscribed on the Department of Justice building in Washington. I've never seen it before, but this term, it, it basically translates into From law and order, everything else flows. If we don't have law and order in our society, then what does it matter? uh, You know, what else happens? If you don't feel safe carrying your spouse out to to dinner, you don't feel safe carrying your kids to the park, you don't feel safe going on vacation or or, or driving to the supermarket to pick up some groceries. If you don't feel safe doing those things, what, what else really matters? You know, what can we what can we have in society? So you must have law enforcement. I kind of go back to Colonel Grossman's uh, take on this. Uh, He said, you know, you take away a generation of doctors and you're going to have more people die because of uh, illnesses that those doctors could have treated or prevented. Uh, You take away the engineers and then you're going to have roads and bridges that are going to be crumbling, you know, for a junction, And it's going to worse driving conditions and and the buildings are not going to be as uh, built as well or be safe. And you take away the teachers, and we're going to end up with a dumb generation later on, less educated people You took away the teachers. What if you took away all the cops? What do we have then? At that point, we have anarchy and chaos. So I think it's, it's, it's my job, and not only my job, but a, a lot of other cops and former cops, retired cops, uh mission to let's inspire future generations of law enforcement officers so that we'll have a steady supply of cops from now on to maintain order in our society. Uh, You know, I really don't think that we can recruit cops anymore. Uh, You can recruit cops that are not called to be cops, but they're going to be individuals that are not going to be very fulfilled in their career. They're not going to live up to their potential because they're really not called to be a law enforcement officer. You know, I've seen cops come, I've seen cops go, and I've seen a lot of cops stay, but you can always tell the ones that are called and the ones that are not. So, and, uh, you know, I've got a presentation, and a lot of it's uh, based on some scripture. Uh, Romans 13, 4 talks about the law enforcement officer in the Bible. Says, for He is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him who doeth evil. And that's what gives us our great commission as law enforcement officers. That's what tells uh, what our job is. That's what tells the public what the law enforcement officer's job is. And uh, you know, my my goal now is to inspire future generations of law enforcement officers and law enforcement leadership. Like I said before, we need strong, uh, dedicated, principled law enforcement leaders. And uh, and their job as law enforcement leaders, your job as a sheriff, your job as a chief, your job as a captain, lieutenant, all the way down, you know, but that's got got uh, you know stripes on their sleeve or stars or bars on their collar, it's your job to create future leaders in law enforcement. So, you know, those leaders need to be mentoring and nurturing the cops that are coming along behind them. You know, a lot of people just don't care. They're like, well, you know, I was a sergeant, lieutenant, captain, whatever case might be. I retired. I got my attention in my retirement. You know, I was there 25, 30 years or whatever. But what kind of legacy are you leaving behind? Are people going to be talking about you when you leave? Are they going to be saying things like, man, we're glad that guy's gone? Uh, you know, we don't miss him at all. He was uh, he was holding up a slot, you know, that I was, uh, you know, could be promoted for. Or are they going to be talking about uh, this law enforcement officer as uh, this this matter? Woman was a was a great officer. They were a great leader. They inspired me to be a better cop. And don't get me wrong. We can't make bad cops, good cops, but we can make a good cop a better cop. And if we can make that good cop a better cop, then we, maybe we can make that better cop a great law enforcement officer or even a great law enforcement leader. But we've got to inspire And and as cops and retired cops, we have to stop saying in the environment that we're in today, I wouldn't encourage anyone to get into law enforcement today. If if nobody gets in it, then then where are our cops going to come from? We're going to run out of that run out of that pool one day. And, and yeah. then what's going to happen? Not not everybody is capable of defending themselves, their family and their property. And we have we must have law enforcement as a deterrent. I think about law no deterrent whatsoever out there. even some good people are going to go over to the bad side because there is no deterrent. there is no justice you know uh you know what what are you going to have you're gonna have individual militias and in, in certain areas protecting those particular areas of of your community I mean I I don't know who can can think about a world where you would defund the police. I mean look look now and I, I'll say this from experience. Most city commissions, county commissions, state legislatures and Congress, they only fund law enforcement as a necessary evil. Okay, we've got to have law enforcement. We're going to fund them. Usually it's level funding. Every once in a while you get a little bit of an increase. But most of all, it's, it's just level funding. They're going to give you just enough to get by with. And then they're going to say, well, you got some federal grants. Go and pursue these grants well there there are strings and things attached to grants you don't always want a grant you know and and a lot of these grants are highly competitive also and not everybody uh, qualifies for grants so you know, you get you got politicians out here that are not adequately funding police now then you're going to defund them or get rid of the police i, I don't think that's a society that we want to see here in america
0: no i agree and um just um, just had that I know we talked about that on our pre-call a few weeks ago but that's um, I was uh, speaking to a group of uh, law enforcement leaders at the Indiana State House and asked asked that very question it's a question that I started asking back in 2015 uh, when I uh, presented with uh, new chiefs in the state and um and that that to me I think is so telling for a lot of different reasons but, for all the reasons that you just said right whether you're a christian whether you're not a christian whether you believe in god or whether you don't believe in god if you don't believe in there in an order and that you know that there is a collective good and there has to be collective rules in order for there to be good then you, then what that means is you believe in the opposite in that you do believe in individual justice and individual justice to you uh, is going to look a lot different than your neighbor (laughs) and whether you like it or not. uh, So, and that, you know, people always, you you know, in everybody's mind, right? Everybody's the hero in their own story (laughs) until they're not. (laughs) And uh, uh, you're right. There, there are very few people in today's day and age that are, that have the appropriate skills level of training uh, that, that can defend themselves, uh, when evil, you know, comes to their doorstep and, uh, you know, which is, you know, where there's a lot of great irony there in that the people that are calling for the defunding, um, are generally the ones, you know, that it's these calls are coming in communities where they need the police the most and where the the people that live there, um, you know, are begging for the know. police, you know, yeah. and, yeah, it's it's and, and you know, the, and it comes down to, you know, we talked about this. You know, I mentioned it earlier. Right. It's as a, as a police officer, as in as a police leader. Right. It's no fun to try to have to hold an, an officer accountable to a standard uh, that they won't hold themselves mm-hmm. to. But at, in communities y- y- that, you know, the police are the people. The people are the police. Those that's the the Peelian principle. Sure. 200 years. And if you have communities that aren't going to hold themselves accountable to a standard, um, I, you know, no amount of police is going to, is, is going to get you out of that. I mean, there's, there's just, eventually you're going to be overwhelmed. And I, I, you're seeing that in pockets across America today.
1: We've got to have community support in order to do our job. Okay. We, just like, you know, just like we discussed earlier, you know, the people are the police and the police are the people, um, uh, Actually, I got it backwards. The, uh, <laughs> the people are the police and the police are the people. Sir Robert Peel come up with that way, way back over in England. Uh, right. One of his nine principles of uh, modern policing. But uh, we, we've we got to have that public support. Now, never pandering to special interest groups or politicians, but we've got to have overall public support. Uh, we we cannot solve crime without support from the, from the public. Uh, you know, you watch these people watch CSI and watch an hour and. You know, to get all this uh, evidence and get all this magic that they do in this lab and all of a sudden they develop a suspect and that kind of thing. Uh, It it just doesn't happen that way. I'll I'll give you one example. Whenever I was a sheriff in our our tri-state area here, we're right in in the very southeastern corner of Alabama, our county borders Georgia and and borders Florida to the south. So a lot of our criminals, especially burglars, would operate in three or four different counties, you know, in three different states here. And uh, we had a ring that was operating in our area uh we had a burglary out in a rural area one day and we went out to the crime scene and and our investigators could see uh where the vehicle had turned around in the yard and they could tell that the vehicle the front tires were a regular street tire but the back tires were a more of a mud grip or all-terrain tire okay so that gives us a little something to go on Well, we get talking to some people out in the community and say you know have you seen any vehicles today that are not normally out here in this area you know some of the older people that were at home all day and that kind of thing and uh they said well i saw a, a white ford explorer out here today i've never seen before so we got a little something else to go on so we've got a uh, it's like i like to say we've got that uh 999 pieces of that 1,000 piece jigsaw puzzle put together and we just need that one little piece and and that person uh, that we talked to that they gave it to us with that description of that vehicle So my investigators got out, and they guess what they found in one of our local trailer parks? A Ford Explorer with street tires on the front, all-terrain tires on the back. Uh, We ended up uh, pulling the people over after they left on a traffic violation, recovered some stolen jewelry, and uh, ended up doing some search warrants, and I think uh, solved like 27 burglaries, I believe it was. And uh, so that's just an example of having public cooperation. We've got to have the public support in order to do our jobs, in order to solve crime.
0: And that's so that's a true example of community policing right there. That's what it is. And um, I think today we see, uh, you know, in in this digital age, and this kind of the uh, this idea of social media influencing and influencers, we've. Uh, we've, and, and a lot, there's a lot of examples out there where I think police leaders and agencies have missed the, uh, the purpose in, in what community policing is, you know, you can, you can create an image, you can create a persona that shows the cops out there having the barbecues and, and doing stuff like that, but, if the officers that are engaged in that don't act, don't aren't there because they want to be there uh, and they enjoy that for just the, you know, the the sheer relationship building, um, then, you know, when people see those things, it's like uh, it doesn't ring uh, sincere. It doesn't resonate with them. And more importantly, when the, when the officers are back into those apartment complexes and neighborhoods and trailer parks and others. It's you know people aren't going to come forth and give you that piece of information. Yeah, I, yeah, there was a white Ford Explorer. They'll let you drive by, or they won't answer the door when you go knock on it. And good luck trying to find the uh, the Ford Explorer with two different sets of tires on it when you don't know it's a Ford Explorer and you don't know what color it is. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, I think community policing. You know, we talked we talked about this on our pre-call, but uh, I think community policing you know, has kind of lost its way. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to go back and kind of contradict myself on saying that's not our job, but there are certain tasks that uh, some communities and some political leaders have come to expect from law enforcement that are not a law enforcement function. We just saw the resources. Now, if you had plenty of cops, everybody was fully staffed. You had you had more people than you knew what to do with. And there was no crime in your area building playgrounds and having cookouts and all that kind of stuff is fine, but we need to make sure that, first of all, we're performing the core mission of what law enforcement really is, and and community policing to me. I mean, and it goes back to that broken windows theory from back in the, the 90s, I guess. It may have even originated prior to the 90s, but when I first came to know about it, yeah, there are quality of life issues that we need to address, and there are things we need to do, such as Getting out in the community, walking through those uh, apartment complexes and talking to the people while they're sitting out on their porches, stopping at a car wash while people are out out working, uh, stopping at the uh, convenience stores and and talking to people. Or you know, if there's a community event going on, stop and, uh, and and engage with those individuals. Let them let them know who you are. You know, hand out some some business cards and that kind of thing, and and uh, just you know, build relationships. Community policing is nothing more than really building relationships with the community that you serve so that they can help you do things to serve them even better. So I I think we need to get back to that core function of what community policing uh, really is and and make sure that we're, we're, we're also fighting crime too. You know, we're like a, like a friend of mine used to say, so, you know, we're not social workers, you know, and You know, sometimes we are, sometimes we're not. But It depends on the call you're on. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we just need to to make sure that uh, we're performing the the core duties of what a law enforcement officer is first and foremost.
0: Yeah, because that's how you get the information. And, you know, whether people believe it or not, right, we're in the information business. And that's. People are not
1: going to trust you because you grilled them a hamburger. Okay. A lot of people is going to show up for free food. It doesn't matter if they're criminals or if they would like to get to know the police better or whatever the case may be. Uh, you're not going to get information by uh, you know, cooking somebody a hamburger or a hot dog. OK, you're going to get it by uh, actually building personal relationships with these these people out in the community.
0: Yeah. And I th- I do think that if you have the right people out there doing that, then you will build you will build those relationships. And it it is uh, it does provide opportunities so right as a as administrators that's the and this is this is what I want you know com, you know especially political leaders and city councils and others when you talk about defunding the police those are generally the same people that want to have the cookouts and the barbecues but there is always going to be a trade-off because when your agency is 15 to 20% short in manpower um, the call, the 911 calls are still coming. The calls for service are still coming. So, uh, you know, while you, you might have officers do, having a cookout in one neighborhood, another neighborhood might not have officers showing up, you know, until two or three hours after they called the police. And so, what have you won there, right? Uh, you know, you may right. have gained. Uh, a little bit in one neighborhood but you've lost trust in another neighborhood and those that's always the constant you know battle that administrators are trying to you know, you know I I I'll just speak for personal experience there right you know we expanded our community outreach program in a time where you know manpower was tight and and calls for service are going up now uh, we also use some technology and we made some changes in how we use data and information and we were able to to cut burglaries um by 30% we were able to cut our robberies by over over 3 years we cut our robberies down 60% um and that you know that you there's that takes a lot of people um uh pulling on the same end of the rope and you you need community support you need political support you need leadership support inside the organization you need support from from the line level officers, because, and you're not going to get it from everybody because there's always going to be people that don't agree with uh, the programs the philosophy and what you're doing. But um, if, if you're not doing it for the right reasons, right. Um, you're going to be in big trouble. You're, you're going to wind up, you're going to lose on both ends.
1: Uh, yeah. There's another um, a very sharp uh, two-edged sword there that you're, you're teetering upon, you know, trying to, to uh, keep the community engagement up, uh, do your community policing and stuff and and fight and crime. So, you know, law enforcement, like I said, it's um, people call cops when they don't know who else to call. You know, uh, we're kind of a Swiss Army knife. Uh, you know, do it all.
0: That's a good t-shirt right there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a Swiss Army knife uh, with a with a, a with a thin blue line on it, right? Mm-hmm. All right, there. There you go. You can make that as part of uh, part of your, you know. Well, maybe it wouldn't be a sword, right? We couldn't call it Bear the Sword. You yeah. could say Bear the Swiss Army Knife. <laughs> well, I, I, I did want to. It reminded me. I did want to say something because what you're doing in terms of of reconnecting with your with your passion and your purpose. You spent a career over 30 years in law enforcement. And you did it at the highest levels. We didn't even get, you know, we didn't even talk about some of the stories that we talked about on the call with, with what you did with SWAT and with tactical operations and uh, the, you know, the way that you did resource allocation, all that stuff is, is so critically important. But, you know, you mentioned after you retired, there was kind of a disconnect from like from your purpose and your passion. And now you found a way to give back. And I, uh, I was, I was doing an interview and, in, in another episode that'll come out as an officer from Boynton beach. He's retired, uh, down in Florida, down your way, but, um, he now he, he goes by keto five Oh now that's his, uh, on Twitter. Um, he's an officer that, that 10 years into his, his policing profession, he got into a, uh, a shooting. He was shot in the leg, got shot three times, uh, in a shootout with a bank robbery suspect. Um, you know, wound up having, you know, he, he, he started gaining weight was, you know, trying to manage the, the, the trauma and the PTSD that came, you know, that came with the aftermath of his shooting. But he eventually, you know, he eventually found a place where he, uh, uh, through a nutrition change uh, uh, by, a, you know, just kind of a chance encounter with a friend that he was playing basketball with. You know, kind of rediscovered a lot of these things and lost weight, got healthy, felt you know, kind of healed himself really, and uh, and now and he just he made made this crazy, uh, just life choice. I call it crazy, right? Because it's he his he's got two kids, wife. They after after he retires, they sell their house, they buy a they buy a camper, and they're literally living life on the road. Their kids are going through a online school. Uh, they're traveling the country. And he's like, you know, my kids, he's like, they don't read about the five great lakes in a book. He's like, they're experiencing it. They're sticking their toes in all five great lakes as we travel around. It's a long way of saying that it, he got into, he's got a movie that's coming out. It's called cops and campers. Look for it. it's coming out. by the time this episode airs, for those that are listening, it should be out there, but he has this, uh run in with somebody when in a in a uh park up in new york where they were where they were camping when he flew his blue line flag and was told that he needed to take it down and uh, maybe (laughs) you've seen this on uh on twitter but uh, not to get into that whole story but what it winds up doing it creates this this story around him he winds up being on fox and friends and there's this huge national coverage about what he's doing but more importantly they uh, he got invited to a campground where they're having an event for for police officers and what he found was that in this community all the uh, there was a lot of retired officers that came up hey you know it was great to hear your story and they started connecting and they started you know uh reconnecting with their purpose and they felt like like what they had lost kind of when they retired and he said the, the part where he knew he was on something is then the spouses started coming up and saying, hey, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate this. You know, you know, it's my my husband, my wife, you know, they haven't been the same you know, since they retired. And and I'm not saying this is this is everybody, but I, I think right. uh, what you're doing is incredibly important. And I think, you know, the generations that have come before us uh, have so much to teach us about how to be better police officers today and what we can offer tomorrow. And and again, that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about like a company like Performance Protocol, uh, not just because they sponsor the podcast, but because I believe in their mission, right? We're going to take this executive development concept and we're going to take police officers from around the country and we're going to train them to be executive coaches and, and help the next generation of police officers connect with their passion, connect with their purpose, build a better uh, police officer for the future. So I how, how do how does someone, if they're interested in in hearing your presentation for Bear the Sword, how how can someone get a hold of you?
1: Uh, my email address is A-Hughes, that's H-U-G-H-E-S 3801 at gmail.com. I'm on I'm on Facebook, Andy Hughes. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, it's a Hughes 297, and I'm on uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Also, contact me on any of those applications.
0: All right. Uh, supposed to be uh, supposed
1: to be coming up in October to Indiana. Matter of fact, and I think I told you uh, there's uh, an event up there called uh, Breaking the Barricade. I think it is uh, uh, Jim Bontrigger, uh up there in Elkhart, Indiana. Runs a big. Uh, big cop weekend up there. I was supposed to be coming up there in October to speak and I've got several other speaking engagements lined up, but you know, there's three things and and cops need to find, like you said, you need to find a purpose after you retire. Uh, Make sure you have a purpose, whether it's uh, involved in law enforcement or, or not. Uh, some cops want nothing to do with law enforcement whatsoever when they walk out their door. They're like, <laughs> They've
0: had oh, enough. <laughs>
1: I don't even want to watch a cop show on TV. I don't want to do anything like that, you know? and, and that. And that's fine. That's fine. You know, to each to each his own. But, you know, with Bear the Sword, there's three three things that I want to accomplish with Bear the Sword. And the first thing I want to do is honor. I want to honor those law enforcement officers who have been killed in the line of duty. We want to honor their families. We want to honor the ones who have been disabled due to an, an on-duty incident. Uh, we want to honor those that, who have served 20, 30, 40 years in law enforcement and have honorably retired. The next thing I'd like to do is encourage. We need to encourage the law enforcement officers that are out there now. They're working hard. I mean, they're they're showing up to work every day. The call volume's high. The uh, The morale is sometimes low. Uh, you know, they don't have a lot of cops showing up to work, uh, they're understaffed, that kind of things. So we need to make sure that we're encouraging our law enforcement officers that are serving today. And thirdly, we want to inspire future generations of law enforcement officers. Because it's like I like to say in my presentation, it's kind of like uh, the, uh, the the lyrics to an old George Jones song that I think about when I think about future generations of cops. And it says, uh, who's going to fill their shoes? Who's going to stand that tall, Lord? I wonder who's going to fill their shoes, and who is going to fill their shoes? Who's going to fill our shoes? Law enforcement retired. The ones that are going to retire in the next year, the next, uh, the next generation, who are going to fill their shoes? We need to make sure that we're inspiring those future generations uh, of good, ethical constitutional law enforcement officers to serve the United States of America uh, or else we will have anarchy and chaos. We need to maintain our republic.
0: Amen, brother. I don't think I could say it any better than that. All right. Well, that's a perfect way to end this conversation. So you've heard Andy Hughes, uh, retired sheriff and his uh, program, Bear the Sword. It's
1: A-Hughes 3801.
0: Oh, okay. A-Hughes 3801.
1: I really enjoyed being with you today. I enjoyed our 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 pre-call conversation was like two hours, I think. Two and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, it
0: was. This
1: is an hour today, but I've, I've certainly enjoyed it. And uh, I'm I'm always ready to talk about law enforcement. Uh, it's still it's still my passion. It's still my purpose in life. And uh, I'm I'm always ready to to talk with or about law enforcement and about cops. Uh, I love cops. I mean, there's, there's nothing I can to say. I, I just I have a passion for, for law enforcement. Uh, I love cops and I want to see all of them succeed as, uh, as law enforcement officers and, and law enforcement leaders. And one thing we need to realize too, and we talked about leadership a little bit. And I know we're ending this thing up here a little bit and I'm carrying on, but you know, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, you know, people who are leaders in law enforcement don't necessarily have stripes on their sleeves or stars or bars on their collar. Anybody can be a leader in a moment where leadership is needed the most. So step up and be a leader.
0: And with that, have a great have a great day. And until our next episode, um, ten forty two. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Patrick.